This is FinTech Takes, the podcast keeping you in the loop on all the latest FinTech trends, news, and ideas. I'm Alex Johnson, and today I have a very special podcast for you. Episode four, the final episode in a new series that we've been doing called Exploring Payroll Connectivity. In today's episode, the final episode, I talk with Justin Stolzenberg, GM of Strategic Verticals at Argyle, and Gavin Nockbar, co-founder and CEO of Column Tax. We take a broader look at the impact of payroll connectivity across a huge range of emerging verticals and use cases. We discuss the changing nature of work and employment, the trend of embedded finance, and the wide array of those different use cases that can now be tackled with programmatic access to payroll data. We also talk about a future where filing your taxes is no longer the most terrible experience that you have on a yearly basis, which is a future I am very, very excited for. I'm also very excited for you to listen to this, and I hope you've enjoyed our entire series, Exploring Payroll Connectivity. Okay, well, I am thrilled to be joined today by Justin Stolzenberg of Argyle and Gavin Nockbar of Column Tax. Guys, thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So um, let's do some quick intros before we get into the meat of the topic today. Justin, would you mind going first and just giving a quick introduction on yourself and your role? Not a problem. Uh, I'm the general manager of strategic verticals here at Argyle. So working on all things product, partnerships, go to market related to kind of cutting edge use cases as it relates to to payroll data and uh, payroll APIs and been at Argyle for almost two years now. Excellent. Okay. Well, um, the cutting edge use cases is going to be the theme for the whole episode. So we're going to circle right back to that. But first, Gavin, would you mind giving a quick introduction on yourself and on Column Tax, please? Yeah, sure thing. Gavin, one of the co-founders here at Column Tax, we're building the next generation of income tax products here in the US. So we want to make it easier, more affordable, faster, and more accurate for every American to manage their taxes, both filing and and year round. And so we do that by partnering with mobile banking, fintech, uh, and tax companies to make those products available wherever the rest of your financial life is, or also your payroll data, uh, hopefully. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Well, that um, is maybe my most favorite use case I've ever heard for anything ever, because I hate doing my taxes. So we're going to get into that as well. But Justin, I'd love to sort of start the conversation with you. I mean, we in this series, have been exploring a lot of the benefits of programmatic access to payroll data. And a lot of that discussion so far has sort of focused on automating and streamlining tasks that banks have been doing for a long time. They've just been doing it in a more manual way. So we've spent a lot of time talking about lending, about income verification, and about just sort of eliminating all of the paper that goes into that. That's obviously super important. I can't wait for a world in which we've eliminated a lot of those manual paper-based tasks. But as you sort of hinted at in your introduction, there's this whole other world of use cases that sits, uh, in my mind, kind of well outside of what banks do today for their customers. Obviously, that's the world that you live in, and that's the business the unit that you lead for Argyle. So can you describe for us like what strategic verticals are at Argyle and maybe give us a few examples that you're excited about? Yeah, definitely. And and banks are one of those kind of clients or, or use cases that you mentioned, but there's kind of a large range of service providers that Argyle kind of kind of works with. So strategic verticals are the cutting edge use cases for payroll data that I was mentioning before. 
Argyle was the first payroll API to come out back in 2018. So we're still uncovering more of these use cases kind of every week as, as we talk to more, more clients and more consumers who are kind of connecting their payroll accounts. And there's a really large spectrum. So pre-employment screening is one, just general background checks, uh, tenant screening for apartment rentals. We're working with clients on automating the bankruptcy filing process, approvals for government benefits like public housing, SNAPs, Medicaid, and then income tracking tools, job offer engines, anything to help people better understand their income across multiple sources, where they could be earning more, when they could be earning more. And then, of course, why why we brought Gavin here is uh, the automating the tax filing process. Yeah, absolutely. And that's um, that's a perfect segue. You're doing my job for me because um, Gavin, I mean, I'm familiar with column tax uh, at a high level. I know you're focused on helping businesses help their and customers you know, streamline the tax prep and filing process. Would love it if you could just give a little bit more of a an in-depth background on column tax, how you got started, what opportunities you see in the market, and then crucially for this conversation, sort of where payroll data fits into that whole picture. It's funny, I actually hadn't thought about this for a little while. Payroll data and payroll APIs were a part of the initial kernel that sparked column tax. Really? A lot of that was... When we were looking at different opportunities to in, in finding a company, one of the things we noticed very quickly that had changed in the world was unlocking programmatic access to more data. Payroll was one of the most recent ones for that, and Justin was talking about the early days uh, in his intro. And so one of the early kernels was, today, if you want to get tax or financial advice in the US, you largely have to talk to a human. I guess now you might be able to talk to uh, GPT, but you really like right. you have to talk to a person who has in their head some understanding of the rules, and then you have to pass them data, and they can tell you about your specific situation. And so we all we looked at that, and we initially thought, well, this is a perfect use case for software. Like this is what software is really good at: take some sort of inputs, have rules that are defined, like the tax code, and share information back to people that they can then take actions on. And so the the succinct way of saying that is. If you have programmatic access to payroll, you unlock being able to have a CPA in the pocket of every American. That was kind of how we thought about it at the beginning. And that is transformed from that initial kernel into column tax today, which we're largely focused on filing. We have really focused on that because it's kind of like the seminal event every year, right? Like it happens every year between January and April for most people. And that's actually been where the data comes together. So when we talk about access to payroll data, Tax filing is largely a bring data together exercise. Payroll is a really key part of that. There's 130 million filings that have W-2s involved every year, another 30 million that have self-employed individuals. So that's data in a, in a 1099 format that is super important to getting an accurate filing. So that is now how it's a really key part of what we do. No, that's fascinating. And I mean, it's uh, we're recording this on April 12th, just for the record. And so uh, <laughs> this is definitely a time in which I think everybody is thinking about tax filing. And it is an interesting point that you make about just the the exercise of pulling all of this data together. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that payroll data and sort of programmatic access to payroll data was sort of uh, an initial seed of the idea for column tax when you guys started, because one of the things I'm really curious about, and I, Gavin and Justin, I'd like to get both of your thoughts on this, is for these emerging use cases where it's like, hey, let's build a product that doesn't really exist in the market today. 
There's no blueprint for it. There's no established set of processes for it. Uh, this is the first time maybe that like this type of programmatic access to this data will be used in a product like this. I, I'm curious if you can maybe kind of go back in time a little bit and talk us through just what was the process of sitting down together, mapping that out, figuring out just um, sort of how all of that worked. I mean, Gavin, maybe we can start with you. Like, what do you remember from those early days of trying to map out? Like, can we use this data? Is it is it ready for us to kind of pull into a product like this? Because I mean, so much of this is about, as you said, what's changed in the market and is this the right time for this thing to be built? Yes, exactly. That is the key. And I think the other piece is what problem are we solving for people? Like mm. what problem exists today? How does this solve a problem for them? And when it comes to embedded use cases or fintech in general, always starting with that. It's like, well, what problem exists? How painful is it? How do you solve it? And so maybe we can take an example, which is a recent bit of work that we did with one of our, our partners, uh, which is Solo. Mm. And so Solo is an app that helps independent contractors, gig workers, freelancers manage their financial lives. So, so a single place to do that. And I think this emerged in the, the most natural and best way, which is they were noticing a problem for their end users, which was when it came to tax time, they were having to download a lot of data, pull from different sources. They were then going over to TurboTax, uploading all of that, paying $150 for the federal self-employment product. And they were like, I think we have, I think we have all this data. Like we connect with Argyle for income. We have all the deduction data. We just need a set of APIs and a UI to be able to use for filing. What's great is it starts with an end user problem, something they hear from their users. And then we're fortunate to know the Argyle team well. They're another, another uh, bank capital ventures company. And so it's like, okay, great. We have all the data. We just need to bring it together in a place that helps people. So that's kind of how this one came together in like a very user-centric, problem-centric way, which I think is the right way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Justin, what what's your perspective on that? I mean, I think that that starting with the end customer problem in mind is always, to me, the right way to do it. But from like Argyle's perspective, like how do you think about sort of sitting down and mapping out some of these new use cases? I mean, I candidly, it, it makes me excited to think about because it's um, sort of constantly a new problem, a new area. And like, how can we take this asset that we have and apply it in a new way? Yeah, I think Gavin kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of the easiest way to do it is having a, a joint client or, or use case where there's a clear consumer need for this type of solution. We're fortunate being kind of an infrastructure play still fairly early on as a company that a lot of these new solutions come to us. So Solo as well as a fairly new company, you know, you see Argyle in the news or uh, on podcasts and you can think of all the different ways that payroll APIs can be used in daily life and financial products and and so forth. So we're lucky enough that a lot of these uh, kind of use cases come our way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and on that note, a thing I wanted to ask about real quick, Justin, is if you think about payroll API data as like a set of primitives, like here are these new things that we know or that we can track or that we can get connected to. What are some of the the biggest, I guess, kind of levers that are, are sort of unlocking some of these new use cases? I mean, one of the ones that came up on an earlier podcast was just this idea that like now for the first time we can even measure stuff like, yeah, we actually know when employees are clocking in and clocking out at work, right? Like very like simple, small things. But if you think about that as a data element that we've never really had programmatic consumer permission access to before, 
I mean, that can drive a lot of interesting use cases. So like, what are some other ones that kind of come up frequently in conversations where people are like, oh, we can do that now? That's amazing. I think the biggest thing for me isn't a specific data field, but rather just the fact that we have continuous access to data um, today and we can stream earnings and income on a, on a real-time basis versus historically you're looking at pay stubs, even W-2s, so more stale data and, and kind of more fragmented across multiple sources. Now Argyle can bring that all into one place in, in kind of real-time, unlocking use cases, well, like tax filing, but also tax projections. So helping people in real time understand, uh, you know, how much they're going to owe the government and plan accordingly. Uh, income tracking tools so they understand where and, and when to, to work on a continuous basis. And things like the, the government benefits I was talking about earlier, as opposed to getting approved one time, you can be continuously approved for these benefits, as opposed to spending a lot of time going back and forth with people every three to six months on, on reapprovals. And, and that, that kind of shows across a, a number of use cases. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and Gavin, I was going to I was going to mention that, actually. I mean, I, I would imagine that I know you're very focused on filing as sort of the first one you really want to nail and solve for. Obviously, that makes a lot of sense and is where a lot of the opportunity is today. But to Justin's point, what do you think about when you think about like continuous access to this data and engaging with customers throughout the whole year? I get so excited. It's like <laughs> uh, it is the next generation, right? So today, tax, but I think this is true for lots of financial activities. They're retrospective. Like you look back. You're like, okay, this happened. I mean, this happens with capital gains, right? You're like, okay, I'm looking at all the trades that I made last year. Like, oh, okay, here's my summary. Next version is contextual programmatic and actually helping you in the moment. And so I think something like a payroll access streaming, user permissioned payroll access streaming, unlocks things like, hey, it looks like you're under or over withholding on your paycheck. Here's the implication for what this means for your life. And here's an action you can take in either direction, depending on what you want. So yeah, I get very excited because the version of tax products that we've had for 30-ish years are retrospective. And now that we are able to get more access to streaming data, they can be more proactive, they can be contextual, like the way they should be, uh, is what I would say. That's such an interesting way of framing it, right? Where it's like, I always like to think in terms of like, what are these constraints that used to exist and that we designed all these processes and products and systems around that now don't make any sense? But, you know, it's like... um the story of the woman who's uh, baking a ham for you know her um, fiance, and she cuts the end off the ham before she puts it in the oven, and the fiance is like, "Why did you cut the end off the ham?" And I was like, "Oh, I don't know. My mom always did that." And then they call mom, and she's like, "I don't know. I don't know why I did that. Grandma always did that." I call grandma, and she's like, "Well, my pan was too short. I always had to cut the end off the ham." And it's like it it gets passed forward into all of these new generations. But I think in financial services, the thing you point out, Gavin, that's a really good point is like. A huge constraint used to be just assembling all of this information is such a pain in the ass that we really are only going to do it like once or twice a year at most. And it's, it's like pulling teeth with you know customers even when we have to do it once a year. So let's design everything around the assumption that they're really only going to do it once a year and we need to get everything at that point. Right. But if that's we, not true- We had to print and mail it out. Like, right, right. It was literally on paper. You got your W-2 or you got your pay stub. It was paper. So like we didn't want to print too much. Therefore, we'll do it once a year. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, and it's it's interesting too because I we, we do seem to be in this sort of weird middle zone right now. I've been experiencing this personally where, you, again, using taxes as an example, 
I'm now not getting everything printed and sent to me as much as I used to be, right? And so the old model that I had in my head was, well, I can just count on everything showing up in the mail. I'll just compile it all in a folder. At the end of the year, I'll start thinking about it and dealing with it. And what I realized this year is, actually, there's a bunch of stuff I need that they didn't send to me. And so I did have to like hunt things down digitally. So it's funny how you get in these points of like transition where we're on our way to this new world of everything being digitized, but I don't have a system where I can just plug in my payroll credentials yet, right? So like we're in this kind of awkward teenage phase, it seems like. I totally agree. I think this is when the next generation gets built. Uh, yeah. The, the seeing ahead, building those types of things, because I agree, you are one foot in the way things used to be and one foot towards what's next. Right, right, which is exciting, a little bit awkward, a little bit frustrating at times. I The other thing that makes me think about, and I wanted to ask you guys sort of broadly for your opinion on this, is it seems like there's very strong tailwinds around this sort of programmatic access to payroll data, really based on the shift in just the nature of work itself, right? Um, I What I have seen both anecdotally and in a lot of the survey data out there is that um, there are a lot more folks now that are working multiple jobs. And that might be working multiple shifts of different jobs in kind of the traditional sense. It might be picking up gig work. It might just be having a little side hustle or side business or even something that you're not really generating a lot of revenue from. But it seems like everyone to a degree is doing more flexible work today than they used to be. I think, Gavin, you mentioned that um, you know we have, what, like 30 million um, filings a year that are sort of independent contractors rather than kind of standard W-2? Like, do you see that shifting over time? And how does that sort of drive your thinking around this? Yeah, sure, definitely. And and we come across that 30 million number quite a, quite a bit as well. Alex, you were talking about a lot of different things that you kind of need access to. And, and today there's a lot of different sources of those things as well. So while you may be getting multiple pay stubs from one line of work, you likely have multiple lines of work that, that you kind of need to aggregate this information for. So with that comes, it's harder for individuals to understand their own income, do their own financial planning, perform individual tasks like tax filings. But it's also harder for financial service providers on the other side, like lenders, insurers, uh, to understand uh, income across multiple sources, work history of an individual, especially when it's variable and when it may be changing very frequently. So having access to kind of as much data as possible across these sources is kind of helping both the consumers and uh, the service providers change the way things are done. And Gavin, from your perspective, I mean, I, I know you mentioned Solo as one example of a client of yours that's actively sort of focused on serving that space. But like broadly speaking, do you see this come up sort of across all the different customers that you're talking to? Is this a, a sort of broader shift in the market that you're thinking about and planning for? Yeah, we do. We see it across partners, whether they are self-employment focused or not. And one of the things we've seen, so with the complexity, like the more complexity you have around where your data lives, the more pain it is to bring it together. So the more valuable a centralized source is. And so I think the companies, specifically like the consumer focused companies that do a good job of this across different income areas, I think they win in the long term because they can support a broader swath but folks, and then the people that specialize like Solo uh, can really nail it for a specific use case. So yes, we've seen this. And it's true, like, especially for the independent contractors, this doubles across income and expenses because you have to bring all of that together in a single filing. And that brings with it much complexity because uh, it is entangled in different parts of the tax code. So yes, 
We've seen this across partners. I think it will become more important to have centralized places the more disaggregated this gets. Yeah, so these new these new points of aggregation popping up seems like kind of the the response to that trend in a lot of ways. The other thing that seems like kind of an interesting tailwind for a lot of this and you know Gavin maybe I'll go to you on this question first is this shift more to embedded experiences, right? And so, you know, to your point about like solo, right? They are focused on a very specific narrow segment of customers that they really want to nail it for and do a great job with. And serving those customers requires a lot of infrastructure, a lot of data, a lot of sort of just capabilities being brought together. And I, I feel like one of the the shifts that we're seeing in the market that's enabling enabled by a lot of this infrastructure is, you know, okay, we can just embed those experiences, right? And, um, you know, you can focus on building your perfect product. Maybe you're a fintech company that's providing banking services. Maybe you're just a non-bank company that has some sort of relevant interaction point to customers where taxes or other types of sort of uh, payroll adjacent questions maybe make sense to answer. Can you give us a little bit of insight into your initial thoughts around making a kind of B to B to C embedded model kind of the focus for column tax? And like, what's kind of the strategy and the thinking there? You have to start with that end user problem for us specifically, that's filing taxes is really hard, right? Like today, tax filing takes a lot of personal effort, which also translates into stress. When we talk, like we spend a lot of time talking with taxpayers and we hear over and over the feelings of stress and uncertainty, specifically, am I doing this right? Is this right? And so when we talk with people, those are the problems we're here to solve, solve it for them, make it a better experience. That's first and foremost. I believe B2B2C product helps that. Like, I believe that is the way to solve that problem. And the reason is the problems exist because data is everywhere and you do it once a year. And so I think B2B2C supports it super well. And so starting with that end user problem, working back, I think that's the way you solve it for tax specifically. And I think over the next five, 10 years, we'll see a set of B2B2C models work really well and a set that don't. And I think that will largely come back to what problem were you solving? Uh, how much better were you? And were you able to partner with other people in the ecosystem to make it happen? Because there is kind of the layer cake of different solutions. The ones that tie it together better, I think will do better. Um, so that's kind of how I would think about it. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. What I, I wanted to ask a very sort of specific kind of somewhat nerdy question about the B2B2C model. Uh, and I think this is relevant both for for Argyle as well as for column tax. But um it seems like one of the things that you also have to kind of wrestle with a little bit is what is the appropriate role for your brand within those different environments, right? Because, um, you know, using Argyle as an example, your infrastructure, you're providing a service, you're enabling someone else to do something really cool, but you're also taking responsibility for a very key part of the process that the consumer is directly involved in, which is connecting their accounts making sure that they know exactly what they're giving permission for, being able to manage those permissions in an ongoing way. And then same thing for column tax, right? I mean, you guys are embedding in other experiences, but, you know, I mean, the reason that tax filing is a tough business to break into is there's a lot of complexity in the tax code. There's liability associated with doing that. Uh, and you're taking responsibility on there as well. So would be curious to get both of your perspectives on like, what is the right way to kind of strike that balance of, being embedded, enabling others in the ecosystem while still 
having a little bit of a brand presence and like reassuring the stakeholders in the ecosystem that the part you're responsible for, you are responsible for it, you're accountable for it. Like, how do you how do you think about that balance? Yeah, I think it's it's really important to understand what you do best as as a company and kind of partner where where your strengths are not. So Argyle is a data transfer agent. Uh, we provide infrastructure for income data. Some people would talk to us and maybe say, oh, can you take this data and, and turn it into a tax filing product? Whereas we know that that column tax is a much better fit for that kind of scenario. And we're going to be the best player only to transfer that data. We need to build brand and build consumer confidence as a data transfer agent because we're transferring pretty sensitive income data to a number of verticals across a number of sources. So uh, for us, it's important for consumers to understand who Argyle is, what we will and won't do with that data, how we're going to protect it uh, and make sure that it doesn't get into the wrong hands. And then also if they they come across Argyle in terms of a tax filing product, and then again, when they go to switch their bank account deposit a couple of weeks down the road, they're familiar with our process. They know how to search for their gig platform or their employer or payroll provider. So seeing that familiar brand and, and logo kind of builds comfort in, in transferring of that data. Gavin, what's your perspective on that? I agree with the first thing that Justin said around you have to know what you're good at. And I would say for us and in Embedded in general, brand is a means to an end, the end being solving some sort of problem. And, and the way that we talk about it with our partners is we can flex. Our job is to make you look great, right? When we work with Solo, for example... We are a part of their overall offering. We should complement them in the way that that works best. And so depending on the partner, and we have over a dozen partners that we've worked with this year, when you're embedded, you have to flex. Sometimes it's emphasizing the brand to show the tax trust. Sometimes it's emphasizing your partner's brand. Sometimes it's emphasizing the transfer of data. So it depends is the answer. But largely, I think brand is a means to an end, which is building trust with the consumer uh, so they they feel comfortable using the solution. Sometimes it's good to emphasize it. Sometimes it's good to emphasize your partners. Yeah, the trust thing is such a good point. I mean, I think that it feels like a squishy concept sometimes when we talk about it in financial services. But I mean, you know, you go backwards in time and I we've made this comparison on previous episodes in this series. But, you know, I mean, open banking was terrifying when we started doing it, right? Like I'm plugging in my banking credentials. What am I doing? This seems really dangerous. Like, I don't know that I trust this. And you fast forward 10, 15 years, and I think this is a credit to a lot of the aggregators that have worked in that space for a while, you know, it feels safer, right? It feels like something that's very standard. People get used to it. And so, you know, you think trust is sort of this squishy term that doesn't really matter, but it does because it underpins what everyone in the ecosystem is counting on, which is, hey, we, as Gavin, you said, like, we're one foot in both worlds right now. We want you to take both feet and put it in this new world. And that requires trust. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, so I want to end with a question that I've ended all of the podcasts with. And um, you guys get to go last, so you get the final word. This is sort of a, a prognosticating looking into the future question, but I think one of the things that's so exciting about the payroll connectivity space, and really honestly just like embedded finance generally and some of the things we've been talking about is we're so early in all of this as we've been talking about. And so... I want you to sort of take off your operational hat and solving problems on a day-to-day -day basis and, you know, put on your, you know, futurist hat and sort of close your eyes. Think about like 10, 15 years from now, let's assume that like payroll data and payroll connectivity is this ubiquitous tool 
in the toolkit for any fintech company or really just like any software company broadly. When you picture this hypothetical future in your head, what do you see? Like what gets you really excited? And um, you know, Justin, maybe we can go to you first and then Gavin, you can uh, follow that. Yeah, sure. So we, we were talking about embeddable experiences and, and partnerships. There's multiple sources of data. Payroll data is one of them. Uh, I think what gets me excited is bringing everything together and how all of these different pieces play alongside each other and creating kind of a financial epicenter for a consumer where in one place they have banking services, lending services, income tracking tools, job offer engines, tax filing services, and how different sources of data come together to offer all these different products to an individual to make it easier for them to live their lives on on a day-to-day basis. And then the second piece of that is making that data transfer easier. So things like creation of data passports, where individuals can more easily have kind of an Apple wallet to share their bank information, share their payroll information, and do that kind of seamlessly across a, a number of sources and uh, you know, be comfortable with how they control and, and share their data. The passport in particular, it's such a simple concept, but it's sort of shocking when you think about like, why don't we have this today? Like, I, I feel like I, I want that. I could have it. All of the data is there. So I I love that one in particular. Um, Gavin, how about you? What do you see? A very similar world, or at least I, I hope it's a very similar world. <laughs> and for the tax part, it's every American is able to get the type of advice that you can only get from a person today, wherever the rest of your financial life is via software. So you can have your taxes be a part of your your financial life contextually, and you can file in under five minutes. That's the world that I want to see. And unlocking payroll data access means you can do that year-round, and it means that you can import it, which is a really large part of the filing process. So year-round contextual and filing in, in under five minutes. That's that's the world we want to create. Oh, gosh. Well, I want that world. I As we mentioned before, uh, it's tax time right now as we're recording it. I've uh, suffered through this pain recently, so I can't wait for that world to come about. We'll end it there. Uh, Justin, Gavin, thank you so much for joining me. This has been super informative for me and uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Awesome. Thanks. Appreciate it as well. Super fun. Thanks, Alex. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of FinTech Takes. If you want to hear even more insights into the past, present, and future of FinTech, be sure to check out The FinTech Factor the podcast series where I try to figure out how fintech companies can build sustainable differentiation in this golden age of fintech infrastructure.